Paxton Quigley is rolling out the green carpet, talking to the creme de la creme of innovators and influencers who are shaping the world of cannabis and culture. Welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley. Hello, cannabis aficionados out there. And welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley. I think we're going to have a really great show today, and I think it's going to be really interesting. Our guests are from a unique cannabis dispensary that's called Rebel. And it is in a place that a lot of people probably don't know about. It's Great Barrington, Massachusetts. And it's several miles from the border of New York State. And I have heard that a lot of people from New York State are coming over the border. Charlotte Hanna is the founder and CEO of Community Growth Partners. And Marcus Williams serves as their vice president. Community Growth Partners owns and operates Rebel Dispensary. But before we get started with our interview, I'd like to mention some important cannabis-related news. First good news is that marijuana legalization is creeping toward another milestone because the U.S. Senate has finally agreed to weigh in on the topic. I don't know exactly when that's going to happen, but it is going to happen. And something interesting, uh, Governor Cuomo out of New York, he's really uh, getting behind uh, this legalization, which shouldn't surprise anybody because uh, New Jersey's already legalized medical marijuana, and apparently a lot of New Yorkers are going across the border there too. But he, he said something about the fact that by legalizing marijuana, and, and uh, what would happen then is this would make a tremendous difference in, in uh, New York's shortfall of tax money. And he claims that once it's legalized in New York, it could meet its $15 billion shortfall. I mean, that's I mean, it's an incredible amount of money, $15 billion. And if you look at Colorado, uh, Cannabis taxes has made a whole big change for them, for them. because at the end of um, this, this year, apparently, the, the, the sales of marijuana, weed sales, it's at a record of $2 billion. So folks, we're really talking about a lot of money. And a lot of that money in Colorado is going to be going for health and health care and education and substance abuse prevention et cetera, et cetera. So, hey, weed, weed is helping people out not only with their aches and pains and how they're feeling, but it's also helping to keep our states going. So let's get to our guests today and, and let's hear what they have to say about the benefits of legal weed in the, in the great state of Massachusetts. And I'm gonna kind of change off between uh, the two of them. Uh, as I said before, Charlotte Hanna, and Marcus Williams, and I want to welcome you to High Society with Paxton Quigley. Hello, hello to both of you. Now, can you take each of you a moment and, and tell our listeners who you are and how you got together and, and, and what did you do before you were doing what you were doing? And Charlotte, I'd like to start with you. Where were you before Rebel? Um. Well, immediately before Rebel, I've been, I was uh, raising kids and um, smoking weed. <laughs> and I decided um, I'd been watching the industry for a few years, watching legalization happen and um, been 
thinking to myself and joking with friends for a few years, this is the perfect industry for me. I, I've always loved marijuana. I never really understood why as a country we've criminalized this plant that grows for a reason. It has so many wonderful benefits. And, um, and the, there's some policy issues around uh, criminalization that I've been very interested in and thought, let me try to build a business that both um, brings this plant back into people's lives and tries to normalize it, but also tries to solve um, a really challenging uh, policy issues that we've had with the war on drugs and the over incarceration of people of color that's happened. Um, you know, we've really weaponized um, marijuana in this country and used it as a as a way to um, incarcerate people. So I wanted to get into the business to do some good for people on a few different levels. And so and, and it, the industry is so interesting because it brings together these three very different important things I've done throughout my 30-year career that all seem so disparate and disjointed and don't make a lot of sense, but make complete sense and and um, and are so come together so elegantly in the industry. So I, I spent a long time working on social justice issues um, and, and grassroots organizations. I've, I've built, um, you know, daycare centers for homeless children. I've we, I literally squatted on land in San Francisco in the 90s and took it over and built organic farms and trained um, homeless women to farm. Um, it, you know, I've done lots of things, mentored, you know, dozens of young women of color. Um, and, and so, and then I went to work on Wall Street for a long time, believe it or not, um, and spent 11 years at Goldman Sachs, which really, I cut my teeth in the private sector there and um, learned, you know, went from the nonprofit world to the very much for-profit world. And, and then in the last number of years, while I was raising kids, I went back to my family business and started working in real estate and developing, you know, you know small New York um, projects myself. And, and so all of those things are really very important for the way that we are playing in this industry. Um, and it sounds so, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But I want to hear about Marcus. And Marcus, how did you get into the business? What were you doing beforehand? Sure. Um, prior to getting into the cannabis business, uh, I was working in IT. Uh, I'd say the bulk of my professional career was in information technology. Uh, my last role before joining forces with Charlotte was uh, systems administration, virtual systems specifically for a fairly big microchip company called Silicon Laboratories. Uh, and, you know, I would say there's a lot of parallels in that world. You know, uh, my office in Boston actually started as a startup, uh, that hustle and bustle of really getting in on the ground running in an innovative industry. You know, the Internet of Things, I think, has a, a lot of parallels to the cannabis industry, just in regards to being a, a very fast growth industry on the tech side of things. Uh, so that's pretty much what I was doing beforehand. Uh, I've been a longtime cannabis enthusiast and user myself. Uh, I've been a genetics collector for over a decade. Uh, as you might know, Massachusetts uh, legalized uh, uh, home grow uh, and recreational cannabis uh, in the 2016, 2017. At that time, I had been cultivating for, for quite a while and uh, actually started actively uh, making new genetics. 
so, you know, just kind of leveraging my tech side, I was doing some community building locally, kind of building a network of uh, global cannabis connoisseurs, exchanging knowledge, exchanging genetics, kind of doing some community building on the cannabis side. Uh, I, I would say I met a lot of really great people through those efforts. And uh, one of those folks uh, just happened to be Charlotte. And uh, we kind of crossed paths a couple of years ago. And, you know, at that point, Charlotte had kind of started doing some of the legwork here uh, in Western Mass. And uh, we started talking about, uh, you know, similarities as far as ideas and things we were interested in. You know, one thing that definitely struck me very early on about Charlotte was uh, her, her care and concern around having a company that's not only profitable, but does good things with their profits and makes an actual positive impact uh, on the communities that they operate in. And, you know, for me, being a, a lifelong Bostonian, you know, born and raised in Dorchester, it's kind of like, uh, you know, a, a secondary thing for me to, uh, to, to open up a place in my community, uh, you know, and, and to be able to kind of empower my local community that I come from. You know, that was one thing I think I was very excited about the opportunity of being able to do. And, you know, prior to meeting Charlotte, I can say there was just a lot of difficulties in my hometown in Boston, uh, where it just kind of made more sense to, to try something new. You know, and on top of that, Charlotte's vision was just so grand. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a bit of a grandiose thinker myself. And I think when, when those forces kind of combine, you know, we, we kind of both look at this as like a, a plot to take over the industry, you know. And uh, we went into things with, with grand plans. I think we've made good on that. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited to see uh, what 2021 brings about. That's just kind of how we, uh, we came together. And I guess some of my background prior to, to joining Rebel. Well, I've been told that uh, the company is progressive. Uh, what do you mean by being progressive? Charlotte, can you kind of uh, give us a, a short take on what, what is making your company different from all others possibly? I would say what, what makes us different is our attention and care to our positive impact, our social impact that we have. I guess you could call us, um, when, I, when I started this company, I wanted to do this social experiment, if you will, to see if you could create a really, truly conscientious, just and equitable form of a capitalist venture. And so, um, so we are the most, probably the most diverse cannabis company in the state of Massachusetts, I would say. I mean, we have, uh, I'm really proud of, um, we, we had, we set out very ambitious goals for ourselves and that was noted by our regulators when they gave us our license that we had the best diversity and positive impact plans they had seen in the entire state. And we just recently had to um, uh, present our, uh, our status for our renewal. And I couldn't believe it that we actually did meet all of these very um, progressive and I'll call them aggressively progressive goals. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, it wasn't that hard. We just tried. And, um, and, and so I'm really proud of um, the team that we have. And um, I guess, you know, we're trying to create this more inclusive economy um, by bringing people into the industry and um, looking to, you know, unconventional um, pipelines for talent that maybe not everybody goes to. But using things that I know from my years on Wall Street that are levers to motivate and incentivize people, but giving them to communities that haven't had access to them. And so that's, I guess, what you could say we're doing that is probably progressive, that our social purpose is so core to our mission. Um, 
um, that it makes us unique. It's not an afterthought. It's not this side gig. It's not a side hustle that we have to do some little extra corporate social responsibility. We are a, con a just capitalist venture. Um, and, and, and it's been fun to see, uh, try to translate that to our customers to help them know that we're trying to do good too, in addition to uh, you know, offering the products that we have. Now, I know that there's an organization that's connected with uh, you called Roca Inc., uh, and they do some mentorship uh, programs. Are, how are you involved with that, Marcus? Definitely. Roca is actually an organization that I believe was founded in Massachusetts, uh, in Chelsea. They have branches uh, in many different uh, cities now, uh, but a lot of the work that they do involves helping young men and women that are kind of headed down the wrong path. Uh, they may have, you know, a foot in the system, so to speak. They may have some kind of legal challenges. And Roca's mission is to prevent those individuals, those young men and women from fully getting involved in the system and hopefully turning them around and setting them up on the right path. So they help with academic development, social development, workforce development. It's a very thorough four-year program. The end goal of the program, you know, is to get uh, these young individuals working and productive and on a path where, where they can just sustain themselves and uh, be good members of society. And Charlotte found Roca through their Holyoke site, I believe, which is very close to our Northampton cultivation site. Started asking them some questions about what they do obviously saw an opportunity for a lot of synergy there. I mean, there's there's not too many organizations that are doing it as well as Roke is doing it. And I think early on, Charlotte, without even having a plan, said we have to figure out a way to get involved with these guys. You know, sometimes you see such a great opportunity, you may not necessarily have it mapped out, but you just you feel so strongly about it that you'll find a way. So we just started conversations with Roka. They do a lot of construction jobs and they've helped us with demolition for our retail store here in Great Barrington. They'll be doing the same for our cultivation site in Northampton. We've presented our business model to Roca. We've let them know that a lot of their candidates are the types of people that we would like to get involved with Rebel. You know, this industry was meant for men and women that come from the quote unquote traditional market. You know, I, I know we don't really use the term black market anymore, but there's a lot of people out here that have made their bones in the real cannabis market and when it comes to this legal market, these people that have the most skills, whether it's sales savvy on the streets, whether it's cultivation, you know, in warehouses, they don't have the opportunities to participate in this legal market. And so we look at these young entrepreneurs at Roca, and we directly see an opportunity for them to have careers in the legal market where they can actually put their skills to use. And I'm very proud to say that this is a continuing exercise uh, with us in Roca. Uh, we do have uh, a Roca candidate. Uh, his name is Anari. Uh, he was one of our uh, Roca finalists that we interviewed as far back as February. You know, as soon as we got the retail store to the point of commence operations, we got Anari onboarded. And I'm telling you, this kid has so much sales savvy. He's he's one of our strongest associates. The people loved him. I mean, I can see this guy. If it wasn't selling cannabis here, this guy could sell, you know, 
40 carat De Beers diamonds to some, uh, you know, nation state. He's just Don't got give them away. Don't give them away. No, keep honestly. Them, keep so, them. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that, That's just kind of the role we're on. And I mean, Roca has access to that kind of talent pool. It just makes a lot of sense for us to align ourselves with that. Well, that's that's nice to hear. It's wonderful to hear. Um, now, I know that that Massachusetts is very progressive in terms of the regulations in the industry. Uh, at least it sounds like that on paper. But is that is that really happening uh, in everyday life? Is that reality? And maybe Charlotte, you could you could talk a little bit about that in terms of it being progressive, but and on paper. But is it really progressive? Here's what I'll say. It's it's hard to be one of the first at anything. Um, when I was at Goldman, our big part of the business strategy was don't be first, be best. And so I think, you know, I look at the entire industry in Massachusetts from both the regulators to, you know, the small businesses like us, we're all a new um, industry together and our regulators are very important to the success of, of the industry. So um, I want to first start by saying I think that they have very good intentions. Um, however, it's all about in the details of how these policy objectives are um, implemented, where there are lots of challenges. So um, the, what has been challenging for me is that I understand why this industry needs to be regulated because it is new and there's a lot of fear and it's hard to get communities on board and accepting of, of the industry coming to town, you know, to open retail stores or cultivation sites. So there's a lot of respect that was built into the regulatory process you have to go through to the communities that are going to host these businesses. But um, so I understand that that's an important objective, but there have been lots of unintended consequences that have created tremendous barriers for other people um, in the industry. And, and it's made it very challenging for social equity to become a successful in the state, because the first thing that you have to do is secure real estate before you can do anything else. So suddenly um, real estate owners are, because, are emboldened to, when they know they have a site that can be permitted, are um, empowered to charge anything they want because they know that it's in the cannabis zone. And so, and it takes a long time to go through all the regulatory steps to, to open. Months, and you know, we're an expedited operator. We, because um, Marcus has an economic empowerment status. Um, and so, even, even expedited, it took us a year and a half to open and we had to carry real estate for a year and a half without making any money. And so that is a, a problem. Um, so there, and I, and we certainly the regulators, the Cannabis Control Commission is the name of the entity that regulates the, the industry is very open and they are very responsive and they listen. It just um, is hard to make change. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that um, they, you know, I think what they're doing around the delivery licenses, they see that, that, that there's some uh, systemic challenges to their policy objectives because of the way they design the regulations and they're adapting and changing with us. So they are um, releasing a new type of um, uh, license category called uh, delivery and which I think you, you don't have to and, and they're limiting it to social equity and economic empowerment applicants and there's been a lot of pushback from the industry around that um, but 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 they're you know holding staff fast and um, you know their commitment to that so 
and, and in, in that particular class of license, you don't have to get real estate first. You can go through all the regulatory steps, which are still complicated. They could certainly simplify the regulatory process you have to go so through. So it sounds like to me, so it sounds so it sounds like to me things are, are going as well as it can be expected at this point, and that the biggest problem is is real estate in the end. But real estate seems to be one of the most important for, for, for all industries. I'd like to change the subject to uh, the fact that uh, apparently there are a lot of New Yorkers uh, who are driving up to uh, to to uh, Massachusetts because there's illegal marijuana. Uh, Marcus, can you tell us what's going on with that kind of flow of, shall we say, traffic? Uh, how do you feel about it? Uh, or don't you don't have to ask people? Uh, give us some some kind of like what's going on there with that. Yeah, definitely. And you know what? Um, I also also think Charlotte, you know, as a Brooklynite, uh, should definitely touch on that. I think she, she's going to have uh, a much different perspective. You know, I can tell you as a as a native Bostonian uh, that is now making this drive more regularly. Growing up, I never came this far west. You know, the farthest west I came from Boston on the Mass Pike was Agawam Six Flags. You know, this is kind of like the Netherlands as far as I'm concerned. So I've been here since March full time. I'm still mostly kind of getting acclimated to the region. I still very much myself feel like I, I you know, I'm a bit of a, a new transplant that's adapting. Um, but what I can tell you is, and a lot of this just comes from me being a hometown local guy in Boston. I see a lot of similarities here. There's so much rich culture here in the Berkshires. It's just its own destination. Whether you're a third generation here, like a lot of the people I have met uh, in town, uh, it's a place that's driven by small business. It's a tight-knit community, and it's also a prime destination, obviously for skiing and wintertime recreation, but just in general, the vibe of this place, the air of this place is so relaxing. So from what I've understood, the New York exodus to the Berkshires has been a summertime uh, trip uh, that's that's been a thing for a long time. And I, uh, especially I with the, the COVID now, I think it's even you, more. Uh, I was going to say the one thing that's changing places. is exactly a lot of people just aren't going back anymore. I mean, they're they're getting comfortable. They're staying here, you know. So so this place is definitely going to have a different vibe from before. But just to answer your, your question, Paxton, I think people just come to this place for that R and R. Even if cannabis wasn't here. This is a place people come to unwind, to feel better, maybe before they go back to that hustle bustle in New York. So if you just add cannabis on top of that, it's just a last mile to that, you know, R&R trip that you're taking to get away from the madness of the city. It's just a natural addendum to, to the, the regular Berkshire's vibe that's out here. So well, I think it, sounds, it just kind of fits naturally. Well, can it I, sounds can I like it's try? heaven on earth. It sounds like heaven on earth. It's <laughs> that's so what nice. It sounds like to me. Can I can I just chime in? I, I've been I've lived in New York City for 25 years, and and I can tell you that the key to surviving in the city is getting out of the city. <laughs> so so I I've been going to the Berkshires for a long time uh, with my my husband, and I, and so I feel a personal connection to that region, and I think that it really has um, all the makings of the East Coast. Uh, 
sort of Napa Valley for cannabis. It's got the arts and the culture and the outdoors, and um, it's got a funky vibe. So um, I, I'm excited about being a part of the cannabis community. Wait a second, an I have an there. idea. You could become the mayor. How about becoming the mayor? You sound like you're on your way to doing something like that. They, they need a person like you. Uh, now voting. I want to get serious. I'm you're, you're definitely voting. Okay, I'll come up and I'll vote, okay? Um, I, I want to get serious for, um, we've been serious, but I want to pretend now that I am uh, coming into your store for the first time, and, and uh, I'll talk to you, Charlotte, first, um, and I've, I've got a bad neck problem, and I've, you know, tried everything, including yoga, and some of my friends have said to me, you, you've got to try CBD. So if I came in and told you of my problems on the right side of my neck, and it especially bothers me at night, and it makes it harder for me to sleep, um, can CBD help? What, what can help me, and, and what should I do? I can speak from my own experience because I am a huge advocate for CBD because I take it personally. I can talk, talk about how it has helped me with pain and stress and inflammation. And, um, and so what I would typically point people to are a, co a combination of topicals and ingestibles. And so they well, can be you, more, more specific. I mean, when do I ingest and when do I rub on? Well, um, I think, do I at the same time? <laughs> I think you can do both personally. Um, I think, you know, you can do the topical doesn't make you high. It just relieves inflammation. And so you can use the topical throughout the day. That's what I do. We have one called a tune in the store that I really like. And then what I like to do is I take CBD every night, but you have to have, in my personal opinion, you need to have to some THC in, you know, in some combination that is right for your body type to make the, the increase the potency of the CBD. So I like a, personally, I like a one-to-one -one ratio CBD to THC, and I take it as a tincture. And so I like to often point people to these, these we have these incredible tinctures in the store that have, because really cannabis is a plant and you extract an oil out of the plant, just like you do any other essential oil. So there's a, there's a tincture product that I really like that is a combination of the extracted oil from the cannabis plant, but also other essential oils from other plants that are very complementary. It's like a lemon oil or peppermint oil or chamomile oil. And it combined, we, they combined it, this particular manufacturer is called the Fields Collection, and they combine it with the CBD and THC that's extracted from the cannabis oil. And so I take that every single night before I go to bed and it helps me sleep, makes me calm, it doesn't make me high. And then I wake up in the morning and not feeling groggy. And, and a little bit of that And what about relieved. your pain? And what about your pain? Has that kind of disappeared or is it still kind of there? I have arthritis in my knees, uh, in both my knees, because I played tennis for a long time. And um, I can say after I went on my own CBD regimen, and this is me, everyone absorbs the cannabinoids and THC differently based on from what I understand that and your your body's you know metabolism and your endocannabinoid system so for me um, that has taking it every night has really in, in the long uh, over you know a course of a number of weeks really helped me with my arthritis okay now here's something else I've talked to people that they say I you know I tried product a and it didn't work 
then I went to another CBD product and that didn't work. And um, I, I talked to one woman that went through five different products and then she said, I give up. It, it doesn't work. Uh, when you get somebody like that uh, saying that to you, what, what do you say to them? Well, I guess my first question is, are you taking an over-the-counter CBD product that's derived from hemp? Or are you taking a CBD product that is derived from um, cannabis? So, because the problem with the over-the-counter products that you're finding all over the place is that you don't really know where what the source biomass for that product is, because every hemp, every there are different varieties of hemp that produce um, different potencies of CBD, and that is it. We we wanted to get into the CBD business, and I could not find isolate and distillate from hemp derived CBD where the manufacturer could tell me the the, the variety of CBD flower that they were using, because you need to know how much CBD is in it. I think there's a lot of you know, products out there that's just industrial hemp because the FDA doesn't regulate and, um, you know, hemp-derived CBD the same way we're regulated in the cannabis industry in the state of Massachusetts and in all of the other states. So there isn't the same labeling and testing requirements for the over-the-counter the stuff that you would have if you go to a dispensary like ours. So I, my guess is that most people who say, I don't feel anything, are going to the over-the-counter CBD that's not test, not regulated the same way that the cannabis industry is. Well, that's, a, that's a, a, a good answer and I appreciate it. Marcus, I wanted to ask you, uh, since the COVID-19 you know, lockdown, lockdown, how are you dealing with customers? Uh, are, are there people still coming to the store or are they doing more, shall we say, mail ordering? Because I know you have, you have a mail ordering business. What's happening currently uh, in terms of, of how, how people are, are, are buying their products? Definitely. And, you know, Paxson, I, it literally changes by the day. You know, uh, Governor Baker actually just issued some some new COVID, uh, updated COVID restrictions, I believe, about a week ago. Um, so what we're doing is we're trying to accommodate people however they would prefer to shop. Most people here in the Berkshires are kind of geared towards online pre-order, basically meaning you go on our website, you put your shopping cart together, you place an order. You don't pay online, but you do come in person, uh, and the last mile is just payment and picking up uh, in store. Uh, so that's kind of been the, the the behavior of the county for a while, just out of a sake of convenience. It's the kind of place you have to drive a, a bit of a distance to get everywhere. Um, so people are naturally kind of uh, uh, tuned into that shopping style. Now, we have a very beautiful store. The interior of our store, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and brag and say it's the best store in the state. Charlotte put a lot of work into that design. The aesthetic is incredible. So it was something that we definitely wanted to show off, you know, obviously with uh, COVID considerations in mind. Uh, when we received our commence operations in September, they were allowing indoor shopping. So we do have people shopping indoors. Uh, we do have limited capacity. Currently, the state is at 40% of your normal occupancy. So it is uh, kind of a limited in-store experience. But you know what, Paxton, if you wanted to walk in, if you called us and said, hey, can I walk in? Yes, you can. Can I place a pre-order? Yes, you can. Can I place a pre-order and come in and make changes? Yes, you can. Are you going to rush me out? No. <laughs> can I take my time and ask questions? Yes. Is it going to be a super cool shopping experience that's very 
unstressful considering that everything else in my life stresses me right now? Yes. That's what we try to do, honestly. Okay, so uh, af after the show, I'm going to call you up and uh, place good. an order, okay? We're going to hook it up, definitely. definitely. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm, I'm right now in Miami. Now, can I order? I, I, I'm in Miami. Can I order online? And how, do, how would I get the, the material, well, so to speak? No, normally, I would say, hey, I mean, what is that, a 12-hour flight? We definitely got you. But with these snow delays, I mean, you might have to just put in a pre-order for, for pickup tomorrow. But just let us know whatever overnight flight, we'll have it here for you once you get here. Oh, so we can do that. Okay. You know, you know I... I yeah, I, I hope, you know, you did mention that the government, the Senate uh, specifically, is, is hopefully getting serious about some of these laws. I know uh, the House uh, approved the, the uh, Safe Banking, I believe it was, Act, or, or they're looking into it. Man, I can't wait till they really start to put some motion behind federal legalization. I think the best thing that we can do is ease some of that interstate commerce. I mean, you want to talk about bringing the uh, Postal Service back. Let them legally mail all of these packs that are being mailed anyway. I mean, you could easily solve a lot of financial problems in this country if you make cannabis legal, you know. But until then, it's really we, we can definitely send you some accessories. We got some T-shirts. We can send you a bunch of dog cannabis stuff. We can, we can mail out to you. <laughs> OK, that sounds good. You know, um, we'd love to have you on again. Uh, we don't we can't talk anymore to you. We've run out of time. But we thank you so much for for um, giving us a lot of, you know, interesting and, and new information. And uh, I wish you lots of good luck and um, come back again in a, in, a, in a couple of months and, and tell us how things are going. We'd love to have you back on. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Good. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed uh, our conversation. Um, I certainly did. Remember the name of the uh, dispensary is called Rebels, R-E-B, some boy, E-L-L-E apostrophe S. And uh, if you go to uh, our webpage, which is paxtonquigley.com, uh, all of the information is up there, how you can, can um, communicate uh, with the good people here at Rebels. And um, that's our, our show today. It's December 17th, 2020. Uh, before we go, I, I hope that you will uh, think about buying my book, Just Try Me. And I thank all the people who have purchased my book called Just Try Me. It's available on Amazon. And uh, I, I want to wish all of our listeners throughout the United States and actually in the world good health and happy holidays. And until we speak again, stay safe. Please wear a mask and stay home if you have to so that we can beat this virus if, by working together. I'm Paxton Quigley. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.